I try to look at where I want to end up with a specific project. And then what are the steps to get there? And so I like to have a vision of what it's going to look like when I finish. But but then I tackle tackle the steps one at a time. So if I have a goal of getting steps one, two, and three done the first day and finish it up two days later, that's great. But just know that I got something finished. Welcome to This is Rural Health a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard, and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast brings together leaders in rural health care with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what's happening across today's rural health care ecosystem. Each week, you'll hear the unique perspectives of industry and community leaders and how they're finding innovative solutions to the challenges of a rapidly changing and increasingly complex healthcare industry. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This is Rural Health. In this episode, we did a board member profile with Regina Levison, who serves as the secretary for the CSRHA and has actually been a board member twice now. We get to learn a little bit more about Regina's professional life, working in the recruiting side of things, and some of her hopes and dreams from when she was a kid and what she looks forward to in rural health in the future. I'd like to remind you all that the CSRHA will be having our annual rural health conference in person. Again, we will be in Folsom at the Lake Natoma Inn September 20th to 21st, 2023. You can find more information at csrha.org. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody, to This is Rural Health, the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association. I'm your host, Scott Hertzberg, president of the CSRHA. And in this episode, we are going to do another one of our board member profiles. Uh, This time, I'm joined by our secretary, Regina Levison. Regina, welcome to This is Rural Health. Thank you, Scott. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's fun. We're taking a little detour from our normal, uh, more in-depth conversations about rural health to get to know a little bit more about each of our board members, and hopefully some of you listeners will be inspired to want to join the board. So Regina, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself outside of the board? What do you what do? you do? How long have you been in healthcare? Things like that. Well, 40 years ago, I took a job in San Francisco as a recruiter in a search firm. And in a short period of time, I was specializing in recruiting CFOs for hospitals. About five years after that first job, I founded Levison Search Associates. And the primary reason that I did that, Scott, is the three firms I had worked for in San Francisco, not one had embraced technology. And if there were ever a technology need, it's in the recruitment industry. (laughs) Yeah, that can get a very tedious manual process. So that's that's awesome. So we're we're talking like late 80s, early 90s. You're diving into the tech side. Yes, yes. In 1988, when I founded the company, we went to a Radio Shack store and bought a Tandy computer. And that's where we started and ended up with a wonderful database on a Salesforce platform. So many generations of technology in between. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's that's probably a huge differentiator back then. Yes. Oh, it was. Yes. So 
you know, looking at that and the, you know, the, the decades that have come since, what is something that has really surprised you about working? I mean, you know, you're, you're your own boss, but working in that kind of specialized area of recruitment, what's something that's really surprised you about that, especially as we've now moved into the 2020s? Well, it has always surprised me how many people are passively or actively looking for a new job. Everything from a director of nursing to a neurosurgeon in all levels. And the other thing that always surprises me too is how many people move in November and December. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. You would think it would always be in the summertime around school years for kids, but people do move every month of the year. They do interview every month of the year. And especially those who are passively looking for a new position, when they see the one that's right, then they jump right on it. So that that's the surprising part. The willingness of people to to take time out of their existing jobs and and go through the interview process and then move. So well I know that we so we interviewed you and your your work partner, I'm gonna say it was two years ago. And we talked a little bit about the the work that you all do and how you've had some really involved recruiting processes where you you know kind of set up like a walkthrough and looked at housing and schools and all this stuff to try and sway someone to make that decision to change. In that sense, with kind of some of these more challenging or involved uh, recruitments that you've done, what's something that you're really proud of? Maybe is there a particularly difficult nut to crack or position to fill? position to fill. Actually, there are a number of examples in small or rural communities. And I think I told a story of one in in the podcast that Deb Wiggs and I did. The podcast was called Finders Keepers. It, It was two parts. One was how to find the staff when you're in a small and rural community. And then the keepers part was retention activities how to keep them, because it is challenging. There are always more candidates interested in urban or suburban communities. And once you hire someone in a small or rural community, you need to work to keep them there. And one of the things we, we've done from the beginning is have a, a very thoughtful, in-depth interview with each candidate to find out what's important to them in their career so professionally, what was what's important to them. But also we get to know the family. How many kids and what grades, what activities are the kids involved in? And, and it really pays off. I do remember one small rural community. We were recruiting, I think, a general surgeon. And the area where the hospital was located was was a very popular fly fishing community. Ooh, for the right person, that's a right lure there. That's exactly right. And I had a candidate who loved fly fishing. So we worked with the hospital CEO. And when the candidate arrived, the first thing the CEO of the hospital did was take him out fly fishing. And the, um, the candidate's at the CEO's home, <laughs> the hospital administrator's home. So it's just making connections. It's We need to make connections for the professional career and how the 
physician or physician and family want to live personally in a community. So it just takes a more in-depth interview get to that information. Oh, yeah. I mean, when like, you know, there's there's so much more that goes into it than just salary, right? There's all of those other benefits. And as someone who moved to, to take a job, you know, and when you're uprooting the whole family, that can be a lot. And it's not just you, it's everybody involved. And it's your extended family who now has to travel somewhere else to see you. And you know, all of those things. So, you know, when you're dealing with rural, you you can have that remote. Yes, it really is important. And, you know, if, if the physician has a child who's training for gymnastics and, you know, their goal is to be in the Olympics and there's no gymnastics program within an hour or so, it's going to be to get them there. So that's why we try to get as much information and know as much about the community and what the community has to offer when we have that first conversation. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you're there, you know, especially kind of having the back of those who work in rural and making sure that, that we're able to get the high quality folks. I'm curious though, because you're, you've been on our board for a few years now, but this isn't your first tour with the CSRHA. So I remember when Heather Hawkins was president and she said, oh, we should get Regina. And I'm like, who is Regina? How do you know Regina? She goes, oh, Regina was on the board before. So, you know, kind of a two-parter. I'm interested in what what got you interested in, in joining the CSRHA before and then what brought you back? Well, I've worked with many rural hospitals and clinics in the state of California, worked with many others in other states. But that I I love rural folks. I love people who enjoy living in a small community. And it probably stems from my growing up in a coal mining camp where there were 200 people. That's very rural. <laughs> yes, in the state of West Virginia. And my heart has always been with the rural folks. And, you know, part of it is is the reception they give you when you come to meet them in person. You know, sometimes you're having coffee around a pot-bellied stove. Sometimes you're having dinner at someone's home who works at the hospital or going to a child's basketball game with, with the hiring person. It's, it's very personal. You really feel like friends rather than business partners. I like that. That's nice. Well, we're, I mean, we're very glad that you rejoined our board because I've been on the board for a few years now and it was great having you and then having Jim, you know, come back who had been on the board before and had some of that more experience and totally reassure me that what I was doing was okay and, and all that. So that was really nice. I like the direction of this board, Scott. It's, it's really on target. Yeah, it's, it's fun. And Everything we do is in some way beneficial for the small and rural physicians and facilities and understanding how what challenges our rural partners have. So Yeah, I'm always happy to to shine a light. We have so many unsung heroes in rural California. And so to connect folks with resources like like you and like others and and to highlight the great work that people are doing. You know, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm excited to be on this board, um, why I'm going to 
you know, enjoy the rest of this year and then happily hand the reins off to Michelle and get to do more watching as it continues to grow. So shifting gears here to a little more silly conversation, we'll say, you know, what is something, one thing maybe that you can't leave your house without? Well, I'm sure this is a response many people would give, and that would be my phone. Yes. <laughs> my phone and my glasses. <laughs> those are those are the two I can't leave without. I made a little plaque for my mom that says phone keys glasses right by the door. So she's, you know. I have a post-it note on the door to my garage. <laughs> phone glasses. Right? It's it's the it's the essentials. And then what is a hobby that you'd love to get into? You know, given the time and the money and Yes, yes. Time is always the challenge. There are a few things I would love to get into more. One is jewelry making because it really plays on the creative. I I love glass. I love polymer clay. And uh, so jewelry making would be one. I would love to learn to paint with oils. Oh, okay. Like on a canvas and... On a canvas, yes. Or a wall or that I would... And my community is an active 55 community. And one of the things they're starting to teach is Spanish. And I would like to learn Spanish other than the 10 or 20 words that I can say. But but, uh, yes, more time, more hobbies. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. I know that I'm I'm a hobby chaser. And then, you know, things... It makes me think that maybe I just like shopping for hobby stuff more than I like doing the hobbies themselves. So, uh, but something like Spanish, that's, that's perfect. That's a great skill to have, especially in California. You know, I took two years of Spanish in high school and I remember a surprising amount as my kids are starting to do it in school. I was like, actually, I don't think I remembered that I knew all those words. So good job. Well, it's amazing when you get around it, how much comes back. I took French in high school. Actually, I was the secretary of the French club. And when I was in France, I was pleasantly surprised. You know, I couldn't carry on an intelligent conversation, but at least I knew words. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, you know, it adds to the to the skill set. You know, you're at a restaurant and you're like, hey, wait a second. I know what that is. Yes, absolutely. And I love going to Mexico. I go to Puerto Vallarta every year and... And it would be nice to have enough words to put them together in a sentence. Well, right. Yeah. You just got back from there. Yes. I say just, it was, you know, at this point it's probably a a month or so ago, but yeah, that's, that's a great goal then to set, right? Next time I go, I want to be able to, to do this. So now you have a clock to set yourself to get involved more in learning Spanish. Absolutely. Absolutely. By next February. There you go. That's your challenge. We'll check in next February. We'll do some vocabulario and see where you are. Then, you know, let's let's look. You you mentioned that you were in the French club in high school, but now you're trying to learn Spanish. So is there any advice you would give to your teenage self? Would it be take Spanish also? My teenage self would have taken Spanish for sure. You know, because we're in California and there are so many city names, especially, and places in Spanish. And it would be nice to know what San Rafael means in Spanish, as an example. 
So it's just named after a bunch of saints and missions. Yeah, it's true. I know a lot of kids today are taking Chinese or Japanese, you know, looking forward to their careers would involve trade with with the Far East. And that makes great sense to me. Yeah. So what what do you do to turn things around when you're having a rough day? I try to look at where I want to end up with a specific project. And then what are the steps to get there? And so I like to have a vision of what it's going to look like when I finish. But but then I tackle tackle the steps one at a time. So if I have a goal of getting steps one, two, and three done the first day and finish it up two days later, that's great. But just know that I got something finished. Yeah, yeah. And that sometimes, it, you know, it can it can snowball in, right? You just have to... To take that first step, which makes the second step a little easier, which makes the third step a little easier. That's a real positive way. Propels you to the next step. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now we're we're in 2023 and we're looking at ending the public health emergency and all of this. So I'm curious, working in healthcare, what's something that you know now that you didn't know pre pandemic, pre-public health emergency? What I didn't know before, I think for myself, Zoom became a lifeline for me in many ways. Number one, it kept me in face-to-face contact with clients, and it kept me in face-to-face contact with friends that I've had for more than 40 years. And what I learned is through Zoom calls, each of us on the call, and these are the friendship calls, each of us actually learn more about each other on the Zoom calls than we do at the parties where, you know, the guys go to one side of the house and the ladies go to the other side of the house. It's a weird kind of intimacy almost, right? Because you are face-to-face with someone. I mean, I suppose you could be weird and like, turn to a weird angle and look off to the side, but everyone's face to face. Well, and we we started asking each other fun questions like, what was the first car you bought with your own money? What's your favorite wine and why? (laughs) So we really, you know, over a year and a half period, we learned a lot more about each other than we had for the past 38 years. (laughs) That's wow. what What a nice little treasure kind of to dig up in those rough situations, right? Like that is that is definitely making lemonade. Yes. And I live alone. So for me, it was such a wonderful lifeline to see people and to talk. And the same with clients. Many of them were working from their homes, often for the first time. And they enjoyed having that, that face-to-face contact. Well, that's really... I really like that. That's very sweet. So I will say that, so we're, we're recording this. It's, it's a, you know, end of March, 2023. And in the next several months, we are getting together for an in-person conference. And it will be the first in-person conference we've done since the pandemic. I haven't seen you all in, in person, right? Since that conference. And uh, though we've had our monthly meetings on camera and everything, I'm really looking forward to it. I work uh, remotely. So I've never actually been in the same room with any of my coworkers. But it's going to be nice, I think, to 
travel and get to be with you all. And I'm curious, you know, as we're, we're planning this conference and getting it together, you know, from your perspective on the recruiting side, what is one of the biggest challenges that we're facing in rural health? And how can we encourage our listeners, our, our members to engage and kind of work to address that issue or that challenge? Well, I think you have to have you have to have a pretty good idea of where your staff are now. What can you do to retain your current staff? Number one, and on the podcast that Deb Wiggs and I did on called Finders Keepers, we give some great tips on how to keep staff, how to retain staff, how to make them feel welcome. And because staffing is a challenge, you know, there are just fewer people who want to go to small and rural communities. About 70% of the physicians in the country want to practice within 100 miles of a major body of water, like an ocean or a lake. So that's 70%. And, you know, there are very many places in the middle, in the middle of our state, in the middle of our country. But for those who are interested, it's really important to have a couple of Zoom calls, preferably, so you can see them in person as you're going through the interview process. And when you invite them to the community, make sure they're there for at least three days so that you can introduce them to all the people they would interact with in the hospital or clinic. Introduce them in the community. It's great to go to Rotary or Kiwanis meetings, you know, the local organizations. But if you're coming with kids, it's great to, you know, set up meetings with the either the the superintendent of the school district or the principal of a school. If you have a son who's going to be playing basketball in middle school, then find out about that coach and make sure they're spending time with that family. So when you do, be selective about who you bring to the community and really invest the time and effort to make sure that they have every bit of information they need about where they're going to work, what their family is going to be involved in. And the other part is housing. Some candidates like to take a look at homes while they're there visiting community. And it could be that they they have horses and they're looking for, you know, a property with a barn and corrals and all those good things. But, you know, in that case, you put them, put them on the phone with a, a good real estate agent ahead of time so that when they arrive for their site visit and interviews, that real estate agent is showing them properties that click most of the boxes. So Yeah. I mean if it's a, you know, healthcare worker who's going to be be the primary care, you know, provider for all these people in the community, potentially, the community kind of is recruiting someone, right? They're you're trying to woo that person to, to join the community. I've never really thought about it that way. Yes, everybody's involved. I did give one tip in the, the Finders part of the Finders Keeper podcast, and that is there's data to support that small and rural communities get a higher response to their ads if they put the salary and benefits in the ad. Everyone knows that rural, small and rural communities can't compete with the pay of large urban and suburban centers. But 
and the candidates also expect that the salary will be smaller, but the response is higher. And and at every level, whether it be a CNA to a physician, every level in the hospital. So it, it's a tip that we gave, and and I hope it's it's been beneficial to some of the listeners. Yeah. Well. Regina, thank you so much for for the time and and for your insights. I feel like even though we've known each other for a few years, I know you a little bit better than I did before. And I hope that this inspires some of our listeners who are looking, you know, maybe to do something more in rural health if they'd like to get involved more with the CSRHA. You know, we are happy to have you. And I hope that you all, you know, listen to our other episodes and that you're able to join us in September at our 2023 Rural Health Conference. Regina, anything to add before we depart for the day? Well, I would always encourage professional association involvement. It has served me so well over my 40 years. I have longtime friends that I see socially from those meetings, but it's always great to have a professional network that you can tap. You know, you may be researching a project in your hospital or your clinic. And it's really nice to be able to pick up the phone and get on the line someone who knows something about the project you're trying to research. And that's kind of the professional benefit. And and the personal benefit is that it's important to give back. And associating with volunteers, such as on our California State Rural Health Association board, it just makes you feel very good about what you're doing. And that's my best advice. All right. Well, thank you, Regina, so much. It was a delight, Scott. I enjoy listening to these podcasts, and I I hope that our audience will too. Yes. All right. Well, thank you very much. Take care, everybody. Um, If you'd like to learn more, you can check us out at csrha.org and uh, we look forward to talking more with you all soon this is rural health is the official podcast of the california state rural health association and is made possible by the generosity of our members our producer is noelia sanchez at noteworthy lab to learn more about the csrha or to become a member visit us at csrha.org if you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show email us at podcast at csrj.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at CSRJ Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association.